This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This topic is a great one. It's for folks uh, to get some information on what actually goes on in that first meeting that you encourage everyone to take. If debt is an issue or it's a possible issue or you're thinking about, you know, am I doing this correctly or I'm in trouble and I need help, that first uh, free debt consultation uh, with yourself or someone out of Sands & Associates, uh, any licensed insolvency trustee, it's important to have, you know, a good idea of going in what you can expect. And that's what this segment is about. No surprises. this, This is the meeting that, you know, people often delay two years from when they know they got the issue, they know they need the help, but they're just so scared. They don't know are they're going to walk in and be completely judged. Is the trustee going to expect they have shoeboxes full of all the receipts for the last 20 years? Um, so today we're going to try to take a bunch of the mystery out of that first meeting because what I hear again and again is that people don't regret dealing with the trustee. It's very positive. They can move on with their life. They regret waiting and suffering and languishing so long out of fear and uncertainty. I think we'll start too right off the bat is that it's it's important to know the difference or it's important to know who you're talking to. So a licensed insolvency trustee is going to give you a lot of information, uh, and different information than if you're going to a debt counseling service or whatever else is out there. Yeah. So a licensed insolvency trustee is really the only professional in Canada and there's only a thousand of them across the country. So, you know, it's a pretty uh, elite or select group of folks um, who are able to help you with your debts in an unbiased way that uses Canadian legislation to your benefit. So when you sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee, you're going to get completely up-to-date guidance on what the laws, the rules, the regulations, what impacts you, but you'll get solutions that you can't access through anyone else. You can't file a personal bankruptcy on your own. You just can't do it. You need a trustee. Uh, you can't access a consumer proposal unless you're working with a trustee. And anyone that listens to the show knows it costs you nothing to come in and sit down with the trustee to review your entire situation, to figure out about your options. You're not talking about any upfront fees, but sometimes people do get sucked into whether it's middlemen or counselors or advisors, where they end up paying a bunch of fees they just don't have to pay. You can get a trustee's advice for free in Canada. And just as a little add-on, a state manager, are we talking about uh, the same sort of criteria in terms of you have to, if if that's what you're after in terms of information, that it's very specific. Mm-hmm. That's a good question, Ling, because if someone were to look at our website, they would say, okay, well, there's 17 offices, you've got about eight trustees, so how does that work? And well, the way that it works is a trustee is supported by an estate manager in every office and in every estate. So many people, they'll meet with an estate manager for part of their meetings, they'll meet with the trustee for part of it, sometimes they'll carry through the entire time with the trustee, but an estate manager within our firm, they're typically people that are very deeply experienced, sometimes 20 years experience or more, helping individuals, they're basically at the qualifications of almost a trustee, but not a professionally qualified trustee. Got it. Uh, we've also got some more of our junior staff who they'll be trustees in a number of years and they're just working as estate managers now as they go through all the professional uh, accreditations and, and education. It's quite a rigorous process to become a trustee. It takes at least three years if you pass everything on the first on the first try. and It's more closer to five years for the average person going through the program. 
And when we say a licensed insolvency trustee, you actually do get a license. That's right. I've got it up on my wall. Yeah. yeah. And, and so regulated by the federal government, all the rules, all the regulations, it's very clear and specific uh, what you're allowed and what you're not allowed to do. Exactly. Yeah. Trustees bound by a code of ethics, standards of professional practice. That's right in the word trustee. So we need to make sure we can be trusted. We can administer funds, trust accounts, all of that in, a, in appropriate manners. So if I'm going to your office for the first time, I'm going to see a licensed insolvency trustee and I'm going to see an insolvency estate manager. Is that the right uh, terminology? Typically you'll see, you'll see one or the other for oh, the first the meeting, other. but okay. by the time everything is through, you'll typically see both of them a number of times. Good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the, the discussion that's, that unfolds from there. What are the, you know, I'm sure you've got the top 10 things that you uh, cover in that session. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a pretty broad meeting the way that it starts off because everybody is different. So, you know, generally when someone walks in the door, you just try to get a sense of, okay, we need to kind of get the person to decompress a little bit, to relax, let them know they're not here to be judged, they're here to be helped. Uh, but, you know, depending on, on the type of situation that they're in, we can sometimes just dive right into it. So, you know, well, what brings you in today? What, what's been going on? How are the, you know, I assume there's a debt problem, so let's start to talk about that. And I also want to add, too, you, and you talked about everybody's situation is different, and everyone's solution is going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Like, it really is a custom solution for you based, or for the person walking in the door to get it, uh, asking for the assistance based on their uh, very unique circumstances. Yeah, that's exactly right. And sometimes I, I say to my staff here, you know, really, we, there's two products that, that we can do. One's a bankruptcy and one's a proposal. But it's not as though we're selling two items. Each person is completely different. Each person, each solution is completely customized. So what keeps the job interesting is not, hey, one more bankruptcy, one more proposal. It's one more entire situation, one more family challenges solved, one more person able to sleep at night. So the individual stories and the individual solutions are what keeps things engaging for a trustee and estate manager. And it's really an exploratory discussion when you're first sitting down with with the person. So do you want to go through sort of the questions or the things that you make sure you cover? in that? Sure. So, you know, again, we start with a lot of open-ended questions. You know, so tell me what brought you in today. What's What's been going on? Uh, we start to drive down a little bit more deeply. You know, let's assess the situation. So, you know, who do you owe money to and approximately how much? And the who matters because if this is a bank you're dealing with every day and your paycheck goes into there, well, they've got extra powers than if it's, you know, Joe, your uncle in Alberta who, you know, he, he, won't, he wants you to pay him back, but he's not going to be able to seize your bank account right away. So we want to know who you owe money to. We've got to figure out, well, what's the income level? You know, is there a standard good income coming in every month? We can make ends meet. Uh, Are we on social assistance or on a pension where there's a very fixed income and not a whole lot of money to solve the debt problem? Um, So maybe it's more coaching about, well, how do you get through the tough time knowing what creditors can and can't do? And then we restructure the debts when the income is better. Um, you know, we talk about, well, what are the regular household expenses? What does the monthly budget look for you right now? Um, and if we were to take all the debt away, you know, would you still be okay? Yeah. Are you only surviving now because you're borrowing every month to make ends meet? Or would you be surviving fine if we could do away with all these pesky debt payments? And it's interesting, people can fall into either of those two camps quite often. Interesting. Um, so there's always a bunch of different options to help somebody get out of debt. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about sort of the the options that exist or the, sort of the general ones that people look at or that you look at when you're sitting yeah. down? Well, and why I encourage everyone to start with a meeting with a trustee is that a trustee by law is required to review with you all of your options. So if you start with, hey, just going to the bank, the bank's not going to tell you or isn't going to know necessarily about all of the other options. But if you sit down with a trustee, you know, we'll take you through a whole suite of options 
options for people to move forward. So, you know, number one, we'll talk about what well, can you negotiate informally with your creditors? You know, sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, if you've just been charged a late fee on your credit card and it's the first time ever, you can probably negotiate that down right away and say, well, I've never had to pay this before. Why don't we remove this and we'll go forward? You know, if it's a significant debt problem, you've missed payments for a whole long, long period of time, negotiating may or may not work, but it's something to consider. Um, you know, we'll talk about is there an ability to consolidate the debts? You know, most people have already been down that road by the time they come to us. But if not, we'll say, well, you know, okay, do you have any assets? How is the income learning or how is the, how is the income looking? Yeah. Uh, and then we'll take a look at, well, what's a reasonable interest rate and how could that fit into your budget if you could qualify for the consolidation loan? Um, you know, we'll definitely talk about a consumer proposal, about a personal bankruptcy for a majority of cases where there's not the ability to pay the debt back in full. Those are some great options to explore, but they're not one size fits all. Everybody's situation is a little bit different. Um, and then finally, we'll tell you what if you did nothing? You know, what if you didn't pay these debts? What could your creditors actually do to you? Um, and sometimes these are the most uplifting meetings because you're giving people complete new information that they, they can't believe. And, you know, someone at 80 years old who doesn't have much of a need for credit, who's on a very fixed income and is being harassed by creditors, telling that person, well, you've got a whole lot more rights than you think that you do and you don't need to deal with this harassment. Um, you know, that can give them a whole lot of joy back into their day. Cool. So if I'm coming in for the first time, is there is there something I should bring with me or make sure that I've got when I arrive at your door? Yeah, you, what you'd want to think about is, so how's the conversation going to go and what are the key things that are going to support that conversation? So, you know, we tell people when they're booking a meeting with us, here's the key questions that we're going to ask you. You know, we're going to sit down and say, well, who do you owe money to? Okay, and the best way to figure that out is if you can bring me a copy of the most recent bill. So maybe you've stacked up the mail for a while, just bring in the stack, we'll open it together. <laughs> um, or if you get a credit report or something like that, we just need to have a sense of what are the debts. So pretty basic, who do you owe money to and how much? Uh, second thing, and this can sometimes vary, you know, it can be really easy, but it's around assets. So a lot of people say, I don't have anything. And I say, well, do you have a house? Do you have a car? Oh, I've got a car. But um, a lot of the time, people don't have a whole lot of assets that they would have to lose if they did a bankruptcy or a proposal. But we need to be clear about what assets do you actually hold. You know, if you're entitled to a property in West Van with no mortgage, worth a couple million dollars, and you've got a $20,000 credit card debt, I can help you negotiate how to pay it off in full, but I can't help you reduce it because you've got a lot of assets. Right. For most people that come in the door, they don't have a whole lot of assets or the ones that they do have, quite often if there's a house, it's mortgaged up to almost the full amount. There's very little equity there um, or there's just nothing that would not be an exempt asset, which means even in a bankruptcy, they wouldn't lose it. Um, you know, things like your RRSPs, things like your household furniture. So most of the assets people have are exempt. But the second thing after knowing the debts is we want to understand what are the assets that you're holding. And I think I just want to reiterate because it's such an important. It was such so interesting when I first learned this. Uh, RRSPs they don't have to be involved. Absolutely. I mean, you get to hold them yep. tight exactly the way they are. They don't disappear. They're not mm -hmm. part of an asset that you have to get rid of in order to pay that debt. Yep. And, and Elaine, I would sleep so much better if almost every month I didn't have people coming in who didn't know that yeah. um, and who cashed in their RRSPs. I'm helping a, somebody this afternoon who in the last year, it's been about $20,000 of RRSPs cashed in. Um, you know, she got the money, had to, had to spend it on debts. And now there's also the tax obligation. So right. she feels at the end of the year, well, we're going to have to pay taxes. So we're going to deal with all of that. But yeah, RRSPs are generally protected. And you're also going to want to pay attention to how much somebody is 
earning, right? Exactly. And that so, can be a big discussion. Yeah. So when, once we know what the income, what sorry, what the assets are, uh, what the situation is with the debts, we have to look at, well, what's the ability to service these debts? You know, what could be afforded for debt service? And the income is interesting, but what are the obligations against that income? So someone could have a whole lot of monthly income, but if there's big support obligations, big medical costs, high rent expense, there could be a number of reasons why they might not be able to afford a whole lot, even though their income says that they should be able to. Uh, conversely, sometimes somebody's somebody's income is so low that when we look at their budget, we say, well, forget about all these debts. You need to just sort out how you're going to be able to live on a monthly basis because eventually if you're just subsidizing based on credit, that's going to run out and then you'll be in a very tough situation. So we give people some very positive, helpful budgetary coaching and say, okay, once we're able to live within the budget, then let's go forward and solve the debts. And I think the most important thing here is, is just all the things that Blair's just talked about. It's so ob- objective, right? He's just looking at each of those things and again that custom solution for you uh, there's no there's no gain from your point of view or for you to show oh you know what you could do it this way or this way or this way or this way it's really up to you let's look at all the different ways yeah we're, we're indifferent to whatever solution the clients choose as long yeah. as it works for them and uh once uh, last question um what would you say to somebody who's the most nervous about reaching out for help you know, I would say just picking up the phone is going to be the hardest thing. As soon as you do that, you'll find the staff is very respectful, very empathetic. If you come in for that meeting, you won't regret it. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So I love this segment uh, as we sort of near the end of the month and a brand new year. uh, Some really good tips for the financial end of your year check-in. Mm-hmm. And I got to say that when I was reading through this, I sat down beside my husband and said, listen <laughs> to these ideas. <laughs> and uh, and there's some good ones. So it can be end of the year. Always, I mean, I always think of it the same way as well, that, you know, you want to wrap stuff up and you're starting a new year and you want to make some changes or do things maybe a little differently. This is a great segment about that, sort of mm-hmm. getting prepared for it. That's right. Quick tips for some good personal finance habits that you can get into or start or think about starting, Mm -hmm. no pressure. That's right. So number one, throw some things out. So declutter your personal paperwork. Um, I deal with folks very often who bring in shoe boxes of things where the 90, 95% of what they've got, it's well past its useful day, but it's still, it's kind of holding up, you know, space in their mind. I've got to keep all of these records, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. So really take a look through, um, you know, all the records, things in your desk and your file cabinet, archive some of them. So if you know, if you got your utility bills from three or four years ago, you probably don't need those right in your, in your top file cabinet, but maybe you just throw them away in a banker's box for a couple of years until you throw them away permanently. Uh, but really be prepared that the things that are in your workspace, they take up your mind space as well. So try to declutter as much as you can. Uh, with respect to CRA, Canada yeah. Revenue Agency, this is where people can sometimes really go to the extreme and keep everything from 20, 30 years ago. What CRA advises is that you have to keep your supporting documents for your taxes, so things like your T4s, your receipts and that, for six years from the end of the last tax year they relate to. So that's a calendar year for individuals. So if 
you're sitting down at the end of this year, go back six years and anything beyond that, you know, you can decide to throw it away or archive it or whatever, but know that it's not required. Siri is not going to go back for, further than six years. Further than six years. See, I always thought it was seven years and maybe that was uh, just, you know, depending on when you started doing it, that seven years was sort of that. And for me, it would be like a safety, right? Oh, yeah. Just a little bit well, of a cushion. Seven and that's fine. Years. Go seven if you want. You know, it's six years from the end of the tax year, which is kind of the seven anyway. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if you're within that seven years, that's fine. But, you know, 27, 37 years, you don't need that much information. And all typically. those receipts and all that stuff. Oh, my goodness. I'm mm-hmm. so looking forward to doing this. So decluttering your personal paperwork. Um, what else should we be doing? Well, this is a great time of year to check your credit report. And, you know, oftentimes people only check their credit report when it's really too late to fix it if there's something wrong with it. So I get the calls from people who are in the mortgage broker's office or the bank's office. They're ready to sign a deal. But, oh, my gosh, there's something that's wrong on their credit report. And that happens more than you would think. Mm-hmm. So when people do either a bankruptcy or a proposal, there's a wholesale update of all their accounts on there. But with the credit bureaus in Canada, there's two of them. There's a file for each Canadian. So call it, you know, 20 to 40 million uh, different credit uh, reports. Plus, each of them has so many points of data in, in each report. The potential for something to be wrong or fraudulent or incorrect uh, is so high that I recommend to everybody once a year to get a copy of your credit report and just review it. You can do that in the space of five minutes. You'll know the major accounts that you'll have. You know if you've been paying them up to date or not. And sometimes people are concerned. Well, I've heard if I check my credit that's going to impact my rating negatively. And there's an element of truth to every myth here. And the case is, if you were to go and shop around and get someone else to check your credit, if you're going to buy a car, you go to five dealerships and they all do a credit check, that's one of the worst things you can do to your credit. But you checking your credit yourself has no impact whatsoever. You're entitled to check it as much as you want. And at least once a year, you can get a full long form uh, version of your credit report sent to you. So we recommend everybody do that uh, right around the holidays and keep an eye out again for fraud, suspicious activity, errors or any inaccuracy that you'll see if you check your report. Okay, and what if there are some some wrong wrong pieces in there? That's a great question. And generally, when they send you the report, they also send you a form for an investigation or an adjustment. Okay. So if you've got a, an account that you know, you've know you never had, you say, well, investigate this, this account. And if it's not mine, get it off of there. If there's an account that's showing you've paid late, but you know you've never paid late, you would attach some of your payment history and say, well, I want this updated as well. So they give you the form to update. Uh, and they've got to keep it accurate based on your record. Okay, good. All right. Um, Goal check-in. One of my favorite things to do, set goals uh, and check in on them. At yeah, the end of the month, and a lot of people of are really good on the first one. They're good at checking goals, but it's this checking in on them is yeah. is the problem. So when you set a goal, and we also say, well, often say, you know, a budget's a goal. If you get to the end of the month and you're not reviewing your project, your progress against that budget or against that goal, um, you know, what are you really doing? How is that goal having any meaning for you? So whatever your financial goals were for 2019, if it was to get out of debt, if it was, you know, to pay less interest, if it was, you know, to have your daily expenses um, down to a certain level, take a minute and try to look at how did you achieve this year? What are the insights you can gain from it? What are the strengths? How did you do well? What are your weaknesses? You know, where did you really fall short and get some insights? It's only by examining your behavior are you going to be able to make any adjustments for the upcoming year. You know, if things didn't go smoothly, maybe you need to realign your goals. Maybe it's something that's just really not possible 
for you to achieve or some goals they just take some trial and error and this year might not have been successful but you know what next year you'll get you'll get at them so really take a second on a written basis to say here was my plan from last year here's how I achieved against it and if you don't have a plan from last year well then take this opportunity to sit down it doesn't need to be something that you over engineer just you know maybe it's three to five financial goals that you can measure that at the end of the year you'll know whether you've made some progress or not so and that would also include uh, if you're checking in on your debt right and and how that's going yeah, so one of your goals, and this is a great one to focus on, might be, hey, just to be a lot more on top of where my money's going, including on my debts uh, for the upcoming year. So, you know, to go into that a little bit more detail, so what you'd want to do, you know, every month is really examine all the things that you get sent. So when you get your pay stub, look closely at it. Understand the deductions that are being taken and make sure they're all appropriate. When you get your credit card bills, also look closely at it. You wouldn't believe, Elaine, the number of people who come in to me and say, well, I think I'm paying for this balance protection insurance, but it wouldn't cover me when I needed it. And when I look, I'm like, yeah, you've been paying $70 a month for that for five years. And gee, it's not there when you need it. I see that again and again with clients paying unnecessarily for things that just get tacked on to their credit, sorry, to their credit card every month. So, you know, really take a look at what you're being charged. Um, you know, scrutinizing the service fees and costs. This is interesting too, and not just for credit cards. So um, I subscribe to one of the larger TV companies in the province. We won't use their name because I'm going to say some bad things about them. Uh, but they sent me a nice note about it a month ago, and I had to read through with all of my financial acumen to understand they're telling me my prices are going up. Mm. because they use the word adjustment and change and so on and so forth and read more on here. But it took me a good five or 10 minutes and I'm a financial professional to know exactly what this means. I'm going to pay $10 more a month. So be careful because anybody that's got an automatic recurring charge to you, it's pretty easy for them to send through some pretty flowery language and then suddenly you're paying a little bit more and you might not even notice it. Fair enough. So really take a look at service fees and costs on, a, on, a, on an ongoing basis. So what if you want to, do, let's say you're in a partnership with someone mm-hmm. and you want to do that, but the other person doesn't. What do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, that, that's <laughs> tough, right? And, you know, we, we try to figure out in our counseling sessions, you know, well, what's the couple's approach to money? Because yeah. there's different approaches. There's, you know, completely separate, you know, your money, my money, completely separate. There's some where there's your, mine, and there's an hour fund where we work together. And there's some client or some couples that are just completely aligned. There's one account and they do everything together. Right. Um, you know, there's no one right or wrong way, but it's where couples really have a a misalignment in their goals, um, that's when it can, can really be a tough thing. You know, acumen is one thing. If someone's willing to learn, you can teach them everything that they need. Um, but yeah, if one person really wants to be debt-free, wants to focus on improving a credit rating, and the other person is, you know, spending frivolously, doesn't care where their money's coming or going from, and again, I don't see many of those folks, uh, but that would seem to be something that's almost irreconcilable. Really difficult. Yeah, and, and money issues can cause significant issues between clients. Um, you know, even if we can solve the debt problem, sometimes, you know, even the blaming of what got to that point can still be a relationship issue. Right, that that would come up too. Mm-hmm. So things to consider as you're going through the paperwork, do you want to run through a couple of those? Yeah, I think just a couple quick ones here is for the upcoming year, look towards your major expenses um, and try to save monthly for those. So think about, are you going to need new winter tires next year? Mm-hmm. You know what that's going to cost, start putting some money away now. Right. Um, you know, is your mortgage or your rent going to be more expensive next year? Well, probably. So, so start thinking about how that's going to work into your budget. Right. 
it. And if you're planning a vacation, a vacation is so much better if you've got the money saved versus you're dreading the credit card bill that follows about 15 days after you touch down back home. Yeah, exactly. So good ideas. And I know that the website sands-trustee.com also has some good ideas uh, to follow. Check it out. That's the website sands-trustee.com or give them a call 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So uh, we always talk about uh, debt. Let's talk about the, the, the number, I don't know, 10 questions or five questions or whatever the number is that you get asked, the mm-hmm. frequently asked questions about debt. Because my bet is they're pretty specific to British Columbia. I mean, like there's different strains or mm-hmm. different pressures, right, depending on where you live. So let's talk about that. Uh, there's no doubt we always talk about how overwhelmed people feel yep. uh, about asking for help around their debts. Uh, and you and your staff meet with people every day mm-hmm. who are uh, either thinking about facing that, wanting to take some action, or are overwhelmed by it. Yeah. So frequently asked questions. Yeah, so the first frequently asked question is, who are you guys? Yeah. And, you know, what is a trustee? Why who, am I here? Who is this person that's supposed to help me with my debt? And, you know, can I trust you? All of those types of things. Sure. So, so much of the reason that we do this show and the reason I do what I do is try to build public awareness about a trustee, about a consumer proposal, which most people haven't even heard about, and to let people know that, hey, if bankruptcy is required, it's probably not near as bad as what you think. So the first question people tend to ask is, you know, what is this licensed insolvency trustee thing? I haven't seen it before. Um, you know, how do I know it's someone that can help solve my problem? Right. And, you know, where I start with is I say, okay, well, before 2017, you hadn't heard about this because it didn't exist. So licensed insolvency trustees were all called trustees in bankruptcy up until 2017, which was a good title. It was relatively descriptive about what we did, but the government took the view that it was a little bit too restrictive because originally trustees, all we did was bankruptcy. That was what existed in the legislation. But for about the last 25 years, there's been this thing called the consumer proposal which it's grown like crazy all throughout Canada. And within BC, it's to the point where about two-thirds of people who see a trustee file a consumer proposal instead of a personal bankruptcy. So the government wanted to change the title to be more broad to show that we help with insolvency. And insolvency could mean a bankruptcy. It could mean a proposal. It could mean just some informal advice to help you, you know, go on your merry way negotiating with your creditors or working out payment terms on your own. So a licensed insolvency trustee is the only person that's licensed by the government to help you understand all of your options to repay your debts. It's someone that will meet with you at no charge, at no obligation um, to help you make a plan to move forward. Okay. So you talked about the Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy. What's that and what role do they play or yeah, does that, it play? Well, that, that's important, Elaine, because um, often people ask the question, well, you know, what happens if something goes wrong? And yeah. that's why it's so important when you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee. Again, we're an officer of the court. I've got accountability to the court and also to the federal government who issues me my license. And that's through Industry Canada. A division of them is called the Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy. So what the Office of the Superintendent of 
bankruptcy. That's a mouthful. So we call it the OSB, not the SOB, the OSB. <laughs> uh, we call it the OSB. Well, what they do is they essentially oversee all trustees in Canada. So they administer um, you know, a regulatory regime where trustees have to comply. They set the rules of the road, so to speak. And what's really important from a client point of view is they're the dispute resolution mechanism. Mm. So uh, if you've got an issue with a trustee, you don't think a decision has been made appropriately or a file been handled the right way, the Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy is required to investigate, to get things from all sides, and to help you get a resolution. So you can imagine if you're dealing with somebody that's completely unregulated, unregistered, you paid them some money, you didn't get something back for it, whether it's a consultant, a credit counselor, or something, there's nowhere you can really go to make sure you get satisfaction. With a trustee, you've got the superintendent of bankruptcy and ultimately the courts that would hold the court officer to account. So very regulated, um, highly legislated field. Okay. So now now that you know who you're talking to, what's what are the next questions that people tend to ask right out the gate? Yeah, you know, sometimes people come in and they say, you know what, I know I've got a debt problem, but I've been hiding my head in the sand for years. I've just not been opening the mail. Uh, I don't even know who the heck I owe money to anymore, or whether all this stuff is around or not. And so we say, okay, well, let's talk about how we can get a copy of your credit report. And, you know, the first thing I tell people is, well, first off, throw out the idea that you need to pay for any of this stuff. You just don't. So if you see things advertised online, you know, get your credit report instantly. Usually that's about a $20 to $30 charge to get the credit report and the credit score. And then they also want to sign you on for, you know, usually $15 to $20 a month credit monitoring to make sure if something went wrong, you know it right away. A complete waste of money from my point of view. And that is because? Well, you don't need it. Essentially, you can get your credit report for free. So when you speak with us at Sands and Associates, and even on our website, if you go to the homepage and click down to the bottom on client resources, we tell you there's a form you can send away to both of the credit bureaus. Everyone is entitled once a year to get a copy of their long form credit report. So this is, you know, the 10, 15 page version that has all of your accounts, all the information on each. You send away that form with a couple pieces of ID and you've got exactly what you would be getting online, sometimes in more detail. And it costs you nothing other than the cost of, you know, an envelope and a stamp. Okay. All right, what else? Well, now it's also important before you move on from credit to know that not everything that's on your credit report um, means that you owe it. There's often inaccuracies there. And just because something is not on your credit report doesn't mean that you don't owe it. So some lenders will only report to one bureau or none at all. And what's really important as well is Canada Revenue Agency debt, whether it's student loans or income taxes, that's typically never on your credit report. So that okay. might be the biggest issue that you've got. But if you're just looking on a credit report, it's not going to show up there. So is there some tips on how to how to know that or how to navigate through that? Because that would be confusing if you're going to something, you're expecting to see a lot of information mm-hmm. and it's not all there. What yep. do you tell people? Well, I'd say sit down with the trustee and review okay. it. So first off, get both both credit reports. So there's Equifax and there's TransUnion and both yeah. of them are accessible through the same form on our website. Okay. So you send it away to both. Um, so you want to get both of them and see do they tell the same story or are there discrepancies. Uh, and then from a government point of view, you know, there's one source to find that out and it's the government. So CRA has made some incredible advances over the last couple of years here and it's rare for me to compliment CRA, I, I but here's, say, here's a compliment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? Uh, here's a compliment. Their online access is great. So okay. if you can go through and, you know, verify who you are, you have to give some basic information information, but you can literally go year by year, see your tax returns, your tax assessments. If you owe money, you can see a statement of account of how exactly that got built up, how much penalties, how much interest, how much principal, so on and so forth. Uh, So don't be afraid to go to CRA's website, trying to get
get online access. Essentially, nothing that you can do when you're investigating your debts is going to make it any worse. Okay. So, you know, you getting your credit reports, typically not going to make things any worse. You're just getting the information um, and you getting information from the government isn't going to suddenly trigger them to collect from you. They're going to do what they're going to do regardless. So would you help somebody if their credit is just brutal? Like, yeah. like, do you pick and choose, or how does that work? Well, it's so interesting, Elaine, because a lot of people make the assumption that people coming into us must have the most brutal credit. And for some of them, that's the case. You know, they've been missing payments for a long time, and their credit is bad. Um, but literally 70% of cases, and this has been studied across the country, 70% of people that file for bankruptcy or do a proposal actually have perfect credit. Okay. They've got great credit. They're not missing payments, but all they're doing every month is this exercise of moving money from one to the other, paying off a minimum on one, getting a cash advance on the other. Their credit rating looks great, but they'll never pay off the debt. So quite often, the first warning a, letter, a lender actually gets, they've seen this, pay, this person paying like clockwork for years, the first warning they get is documents from SANS and associates that say, well, here's a consumer proposal or here's a personal bankruptcy. The person just couldn't keep doing what they're doing. You know, if someone's got terrible credit or bad credit, well, you know, regardless of where you start from, bankruptcy is not going to improve things right away. It's going to basically at least put a stop on things from getting worse, but it's where you build from after the bankruptcy or proposal is what matters. Um, and folks that listen to our show will know we've had mortgage brokers, we have credit rebuilding specialists on before. People can go from literally zero or terrible credit going through a bankruptcy to being qualified for a mortgage in as little as a couple of years, two or three years after they're finished. So nothing is a life sentence and far from it is a credit rating. So when it comes to actual concerns about the debts themselves, uh, what are some questions that you get? And I would think that Canada Revenue, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, that would be a huge part of it. Yeah, CRA is the creditor that puts more fear into clients than anybody else, and it's for good reason. For good reason, yeah. I was just going to say that. Yeah, no, there's the two th certainties in life, the death and the taxes, and yeah, though those are certain. It's so and now it's not a certainty that you can't deal with taxes, you can, but if you don't deal with it, CRA's got a a lot more power than any of your other creditors to meet, really make you feel the pain. So if you owe somebody, you know, it's a bank account debt or it's a credit card debt or a line of credit or something, they have to actually sue you before they can really hurt you, before they can take your wages, start to seize your assets. Right. And for you to be sued, I'm not sure if you've ever had the pleasure, but no. some, okay, hopefully not. Yeah. Uh, what happens is someone actually shows up and they say, are you so-and-so? You've been served with documents, just like in the movies. Just okay? like in the movies. Exactly. Now, what that means that you see this coming a mile away. You right. know exactly, okay, I'm being sued. If I've got money in this account, well, I better get it out of there. Or I better run to a trustee and put a stop to this. The government can shortcut all of that. So if you owe CRA money, they don't have to take you to court. It's basically, it's as if they've already won. They can go direct to your employer. They can take up to 30% of your wages in the province of BC. And if it's something that's really egregious, you know, someone 10, 15 years of unfiled tax returns, I've seen them up to 50% of wages. Even OASCPP sometimes at 50%. Wow. So they can really essentially choke off your source of funds. And CRA doesn't want you to live destitute on the street, but what they want is for you to deal with the debt, to go and see a trustee, to face it head on, because the day you do a bankruptcy or a proposal, any of those wage seizures have to stop. You have to start getting your wages back again. Um, now, the other thing that CRA can do is they can take your wages, but they can also put a lien on your house. Now, this is hugely important because, again, you don't need to be sued for this to happen. Any other debt, they've got to sue you. You know your house is potentially in jeopardy. Um, in this case, CRA can just put a lien on your house. And at that point, once it's on there, it can't be removed unless it's paid out in full. Okay. Go ahead. Do people get, do, do you get a warning that CRA is doing any of this stuff? 
you wouldn't know. So obviously they're not going to do this the first month after you've got a balance and you haven't paid it. So they've communicated with mm-hmm. me in some way. They've sent me letters and said, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, this is usually, okay. this is their last resort, not their first resort. Okay. So their first resort is to try to work with you, try to get a payment plan over time. Typically six months for payment in full is all that they're able to do. So if you're able to, you know, get on a payment plan like that, they're not going to do something like this to you. But where it's been years, months, so on and so forth, where maybe there's not been returns filed or there's been no payments, no communication, that's when they start to seize the wages or seize the assets. So what about, um, what, what can I do? What can I do to stop that? What are, what's the process at that point to stop that from the continuing? On, yeah, the only person that can stop it is a licensed insolvency trustee. So not a lawyer, not an individual on their own. It's you filing either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, forces all of your creditors to stop, to take a breather, to allow you to restructure. And that includes Canada Revenue Agency as well. So if you're, if the the dog is at the door, so do the wolf is at the door, so to speak. Yeah. They're beating down the door. Um, your next call needs to be to a trustee because you might be wasting time otherwise at folks that can't help you. And that's really important. So again, a licensed insolvency trustee is the only one that can put all of this together and stop it. That's exactly right. Even though right. the debt, you know, like there's other uh, there's other things out there that may suggest it. But here's the thing, and you don't have to just go on what we've just said. Go to the website, Sands & Associates website, sands-trustee.com. There are pages of really good questions and really good answers. If you're not quite sure, did he really say that? I'm not, I don't know. I didn't sound like to go and check. Uh, the next best thing is make an appointment for that free consultation. The number, the phone number is 1-800-661-3030 and find an office near you as well. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us, Angela Calla, a 15-year award-winning woman of influence and mortgage expert. And alongside her team, and yeah, she has a team, uh, assisting mortgage holders get the best mortgage, as well as education is a really big part for Angela. And of course, she also uh, has the mortgage show on CKNW. It's been over 10 years, too which is pretty awesome, Angela, I got to say, and is also author of a book called The Mortgage Code. Uh, So this segment is all about, and this is a big one, because I can't imagine, because the the folks who are listening to Dollars and Cents, I mean, we normally just focus on debt and and how to get out of it and how to use um, a licensed insolvency trustee and a consumer proposal or look at bankruptcy, etc. But how to get a mortgage after a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal? I thought that was an excellent question because quite frankly, I thought, well, is that even possible? And we're so glad that you're on the show to tell us about how you can do that. In our role, we're most proud about being able to provide solutions. Having access to the dozens and dozens of lenders that we do in Canada gives us so many opportunities to help people. I believe that both Sands and Associates and Blair and myself and my team, we're really advocates for consumers to help improve their credit, no matter which way they have to go, whether they go um, with the proposal of bankruptcy or they go with the mortgage refinance. Both of those are geared at improving their credit and keeping it to the optimal place. 
And so it's just a matter of learning exactly where you are in your journey, whether that be a proposal or a bankruptcy, and then helping you reestablish credit, having a few trade lines that you're operating, and then teaching you the skills to how to have the highest score within what you have. And then we work with you to present that to the lenders that are going to look at that most favorably favorably for you, whether you're looking to buy a home, move up the property ladder, or get a new mortgage after you've had a proposal or bankruptcy. Yeah. And I guess, Angela, there's there's the rare client that doesn't ask me or doesn't just assume, oh my God, I guess this means I'll never be able to get a mortgage. If I do a bankruptcy, that means the rest of my life, no one's going to give me a mortgage. Or if I do a proposal, well, gee, it's not as bad, but it's probably this huge black mark that's just going to take forever to clear. Um, and you know, doing this work for a long enough time, I have people calling me sometimes three or four years after even a bankruptcy saying, oh my God, I qualified for a mortgage. I saved the down payment. They're over the moon happy about it. And I thought for today, it'd be really helpful to set out, you know, what is the lay of the land? Um, you know, if someone's done a bankruptcy or a proposal, you know, is it possible for them to qualify for a mortgage in a reasonable amount of time? Yep, it just depends on when it's discharged. So actually, we had someone from Sands and Associates that contacted us recently who originally had seen Sands and Associates because obviously they had some circumstances happen where they lost their job. They were a really high income earner on average, and they just had some unforeseen circumstances, a bunch of things that had kind of compiled into one scenario. And when she contacted us, she was back working in the field where she was most utilized. She was being paid uh, very, very well, over six figures, and she had her proposal. And she said, hey, I want to move up the property ladder. How do I do that? And so we actually got her a mortgage that paid out her consumer proposal. And then she was able to get another mortgage on another home and just completely move forward. So even if you're in a proposal, there's still options if you wanted to get a a new mortgage to pay that out so you can move forward with your life. And of course, if you want to wait till you're completed the proposal, then we can pursue the options at that time. But you do need to have at least two to three trade lines that are active and and 25% below the balances and have the income, of course, to qualify for what you're looking for moving forward. Okay, so just just boiling that down to kind of nuts and bolts. So, um, you know, about two-thirds of the people that that come to see us, they do consumer proposals. And it sounds like, you know, during a consumer proposal, you know, you can refinance if you needed to change a lender. Sometimes that's possible as well. Um, I wonder from a bankruptcy point of view, because people view bankruptcy as significantly worse than a consumer proposal, which it is worse, but not significantly so from my point of view anyway. Uh, But just wondering when you say, you know, you need two trade lines. Is that a couple of credit cards? Um, When you say to 75% of the limit, so I assume that means if the limit is $1,000, don't go above seven fifty. Can you really boil Correct. it down if someone is, you know, just say finishing their bankruptcy in the next month? What does their rebuilding journey look like, assuming one of their objectives is to qualify for a mortgage? Their rebuilding journey is about two years. And depending on their circumstances, even if they've gone through a bankruptcy, depending on their income, they might actually qualify to get some reestablished credit, depending on where they utilize their uh, banking services and where they're looking to uh, get their credit. So but just, the just, just jumping in there for a two, quick second, because yep. the, the two years, again, that, that just really is something that l- listeners should pay attention to, because a lot of the time people say, well, bankruptcy is 10 years, it tanks your credit, or six years or seven years. But you're saying, Angela, even, Angela, even though it's going to be on the credit report, within two years after a discharge, it's possible for them to qualify. 
Absolutely. Good. Absolutely it is. There are lenders who will do that. And that's the great thing about access. And if you on your own go and shop around different lenders, first of all, it takes more precious points off your credit score and you don't know what their policies are. So we work with you to say, you know, work, work with you on your plan so you can see clearly if I continue down this path and I show this to the lender, then I'll be able to get a mortgage. So remember the rule of two, 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 two trade lines, two years, mm-hmm. and at least 20% below the balances. I always say 75 to be safe. But if you just oh, remember like that, that two, two, two <laughs> rule then you'll be you'll be good. So I love that new lenders are coming uh, available all the time that are offering new and innovative solutions. And it's just about putting the plan in place. It costs nothing, by the way, to review what those options are. There's no cost to you. It's just a, you know, a simple reach out and we can review the options and say, you know what, stay put where you are. You're on the right path. And we can follow up with you again in a few years to see if this is still part of your journey that you want to pursue. And what does it look like when people first start to reestablish credit? You know, I typically tell people, hey, it's probably a secured credit card and there's various banks or some, you know, online lenders or things like that. Do you have any really good products you tend to steer people towards for a first reestablishment? I find that the credit unions are pretty good at giving Mm -hmm. out um, lines of credit or credit cards just because of their general makeup. And so I always suggest that they check with the bank that they're at or the credit union. And then, of course, if that doesn't work, then there's lots of secured options that are out there. But it's always my preference that those options have been reviewed first. Oh, that makes sense. Um, And if people are thinking about a down payment, um, what typical range would they need to be be looking at? Say they're the two or three years out from a bankruptcy or a proposal. They've done everything right. They've got the two or three... um, lenders that are reporting, they're under the utilization limits. If they're going towards um, purchasing something, what should they keep in mind for a down payment in a ballpark? Well, I would say that the general answer is 20 to 35 Mm percent. However, it depends on what's included in the bankruptcy. If you've had a home um, included in the bankruptcy, then you'll most likely need the higher down payment. If you're relatively younger and you've had a small proposal or a small bankruptcy and no property was included, some of the insurers will look at them on a case-by-case basis and you can get down with a insured mortgage, which is less than 20%. But okay. it really is case-specific. And oftentimes we'll ask to see an outline of what was included and want to learn the story behind the proposal or bankruptcy so we can present that to a lender who we feel will be more um, open-minded to the story behind it. And again, depending on what's included in the circumstances surrounding it, we've, we've had success with that. So policies and lenders are always changing, so you should never be discouraged. If this is something that's a goal of yours, then reviewing once a year, just like you would review many things once a year, is certainly what should be included in your personal personal plan. And I think that's, that should give people a lot of hope in that it is on an individual basis. The circumstances matter. The age and stage of life do matter. So, yeah, don't just assume it's hopeless based on one small fact. You know, your whole situation can come into play. Uh, we're just down to about our last minute here, Angela. I wonder, are there any pitfalls that you've seen people fall into when they think they're doing the right thing to rebuild, but then you look a bit later and like, oh, wow, I wish they hadn't done that. It didn't really help us. Um, any pitfalls for folks as they start the rebuilding journey just to keep an eye out for? Yes. Do not go above that 75 or 80% below that limit. So in that example mm. that you gave earlier in the $1,000, yep. you would never, ever want to go over that $800. Okay. 
and that because means that even will if you, negatively impact your credit score, even if you've paid it off in full, even yeah. if you ran it to a thousand and paid it off, you never want to go above the eight hundred. We've been talking with Angela Calla, uh, who's written a terrific book. It's called The Mortgage Code. The other thing I want to mention too is Angela's uh, how to access Angela if you'd like to talk to her and her team. It's Calla Team at DominionLending.ca. Blair's got a website as well for Sands and Associates. It's sands-trustee.com. Or if you'd like to make an appointment uh, to see Blair at Sands and Associates or any of the staff at all. What were you at? 17 offices? 17 and counting. 17 mm-hmm. offices. 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.